Word of God to 1 John chapter 4. Text for the sermon is verse 9 of the chapter, and we'll read the whole chapter now. First John 4. This is the word of God. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, He is a liar, 
For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. That's how far we read God's word. Let's reread the text, which is verse 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God for you and for me is so great. That's what this text is all about. He personally makes us to know and he assures us of that love. And that's our text too. And isn't that what he's doing and he's going to do in the preaching this morning, going to make you know and assure you of his love? Isn't that what he does at this covenant meal, which we're going to have in a few moments as well? He shows us his love. And we have an opportunity just for a few moments this morning then to contemplate this great love of God for us. Let's hear this under the theme, God's love manifested. Let's hear in what, and then what, and that point of what we'll consider the love itself, and the fact that it's manifested, and then third and briefly, now what. What, in what, what, and now what. God's love toward us is manifested in this that he sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that something that ought to take our breath away daily? God sent his only begotten son into the world. That only begotten son is the second person of the Trinity. And he's called here only begotten for good reason, meaning the Father eternally begets the Son. The first person of the Trinity eternally begets the second person of the Trinity. And the Son is eternally begotten of the Father. That's why he's called here the only Begotten. You might put it this way the Son shares in the very being of the Father. He's not adopted, He doesn't become God's Son, He's not created as such or born as God's Son. You may not speak in any of those ways. No, He's eternally begotten of the Father. 
Now, when we say that the Father eternally begets the Son and the Son is eternally begotten of the Father, those are not cold, abstract, dry doctrines reserved for theologians when they read dusty books on a bookshelf. Far from it. It's beautiful, lovely, warm doctrine. When we say that the Father begets the Son and the Son is begotten of the Father, you must hear in that the language of love. Father, within that triune life, beholds his Son and sees him as precious and loves him and exceedingly delights in him. And the son beholds the father with exceeding delight and finds him to be precious and loves him. You see how warm and how intimate that is between father and son? And then you think of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And sometimes we say, and this is correct, the father breathes forth the Spirit to the Son, and the Son breathes forth the Spirit to the Father, and that's the breathing of love. And so you go to a passage like Proverbs chapter 8, verse 30, and you hear about this intimacy between Father and Son. Though I here is the son, and he's talking about the father. And he says, then I was by him as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. That's what the son says about the father. Or to give you just one other example, John chapter 1 verse 18 refers to this closeness and warmth in that triune life. No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father. He's in the very bosom of the Father. He hath declared him. That only begotten Son, God sent into the world. That's the breathtaking thing. God, the Father, sent the only begotten Son into the world. This is, of course, what we're talking about when we talk about the incarnation. The incarnation is a work of the triune God, Father and Son and Holy Spirit. That's, of course, true. But the one to whom the text is referring specifically here is to the Father. God the Father sent his Son, only begotten Son, into the world. Incarnation. He sent him into the flesh. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, that the only begotten Son stopped being God at some point. The truth of the matter is he is and he continues eternally to be truly God. But now this only begotten son who is and continues always God takes to himself flesh or assumes a human nature with all of its infirmities except for sin, of course. Takes upon himself the form 
of a servant. He was sent into the world. And you must not think there only of the incarnation. He takes to himself flesh. That's true. But you ought to think of a place because the world is, after all, a place. It was in the world on this earth that Jesus Christ was conceived in and born from the womb of the Virgin Mary. It was in the world on the earth that he lived and that he walked. And that too is amazing. He who created the planet and the whole universe with all of its countless giant stars, he assumed flesh and walked in that very world. Only begotten Son in the flesh born in a barn in that world, dressed in rags in that world, surrounded in that world on every side by the curse that came upon the creation after man fell into sin. Then, when it says that God sent him into the world, you ought not just to think of the incarnation and the place where he was at, but think about also who was in that world sinners surrounding the perfect and righteous and holy Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine what that was like for him? Every time he beholds a sin or hears a wicked word, how that must have sliced at his holy heart and grieved him? Surrounded he was in sinners as he's in this world But then you also ought to think of what he was sent to do in the world. That word sent in our text has the sense of a mission. God the Father sent his only begotten Son into the flesh to live in this world to complete a certain goal and to do a work. And you could summarize that mission, that work, or that goal with one word, Salvation. Only begotten Son in the flesh come into this world to suffer for our sins. That begins in a poverty-stricken stable, extends through all his boyhood and young person years and young adult and into his earthly ministry, It intensifies as he enters into his earthly ministry. And the very climax of that suffering under the wrath of God against our sins happens when he hangs on that tree. There especially the outpoured wrath of God comes down upon him and presses upon him. And he descends into death with all of its horrors and all of its layers as the penalty for our sins came into the world to do that mission to accomplish salvation. God sent only begotten Son into the world and there was a purpose that he had in all of that. 
The text mentions that. God sent his only begotten son into the world that, here's a purpose word, that we might live through him. That we have life through Christ implies, beloved, that apart from Jesus Christ, we're dead. Spiritually, we're dead. Ephesians chapter 2 puts it this way, dead in trespasses and sins. This is sometimes what we call the doctrine of total depravity. Did you know that when you were born from the womb of your mother, and even when you were inside her womb, you were stillborn? Not physically, you're physically alive, but spiritually a stillborn, dead in trespasses and sins. You know the language of the Heidelberg Catechism, don't you? That by nature we're wholly incapable of doing any good and we're inclined to all wickedness. That's total depravity. But now we have life. Now we have life. And it's the Life of Jesus Christ, spiritual, abundant, everlasting life. And to have that sort of life, that's true life. And you want to know what true life is? To know God and Him whom He sent, Jesus Christ. Sometimes we talk this way, that we say, to sit in a tree stand, to go on an exotic vacation with my spouse, to be successful at my job, to be able to take a basketball in hand and effortlessly make a three-pointer, to drink a cozy drink by a warm fire. Ah, that's life. Sometimes we talk that way. But that's not life. Not truly. It's to know him. And his son Jesus Christ whom he sent. You want to know what true life is? It's to bask in the warm, radiating beams of the love of God. And to experience that. That's life. We have been given life. And the text adds, importantly... Through Jesus Christ, through that only begotten Son in the flesh. That life that we have is through Jesus Christ in the sense that he's the one who earned for us the right even to have that life. All his suffering and his perfect obedience to the law of God all his years, but then especially as he hung there on the cross and did the will of his Father, and he suffered the penalty for our sins, he earned for us, or he purchased, life. So that you may say, without the cross, no life. With the cross, life. 
Life is through Jesus Christ in the sense that he earned that for us, but also this life is through Jesus Christ in the sense that he actually then gives it to us. He's earned it for us in his life and at his cross, especially there at the cross. But now what he's purchased for us there, he then by his spirit actually bestows upon us. And you recognize that as the doctrine that we call regeneration. Takes the seed of his life and plants it right there in your heart. He takes your heart which was hard and stony and cold and wicked and stubborn and he makes it a warm, pumping, fleshy heart. Regeneration. He gives you life. Life is through Christ also in that sense that he actually bestows it upon us. That is the purpose of God in sending his only begotten son into the world that you might live abundantly. Thanks be to God. It is congregation then in that. Take that now as whole lump sum that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. It's in that that he manifests his love toward us. God, when you talk about love, and isn't this emphasized a few times even in the very chapter that we read? God is love. Sometimes we say it's one of his attributes. Even if, let's just say, even if God never showed his love outside of himself, he still would be perfectly and eternally the God of love. It's one of his attributes. And then that rings a bell in your mind because just a few moments ago we considered the fact that the Father eternally begets the Son and the Son is eternally begotten of the Father and they delight in one another and they love each other and the Father breathes the Spirit to the Son and the Son breathes the Spirit to the Father. It's the breathing of ardent love. Yes, God is love. It's one of his attributes. But God is so determined to love a people outside of himself, his elect, his chosen. And you could really summarize that love of God for us in this way. He does us good. And what's that good? He gives for us. It's an undeserved, free, unconditional love. The love of God, that love, is manifested in that he sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. To manifest something means to show it. To make it clear or plain to, to illuminate something. Children, you can think of manifestation like the bright yellow beams that shine out of that 
great ball of the sun. Sometimes you look at the sun in the sky and you see those rays, those beams coming out of it. They're just shining there. That's how you can think of manifestation. When God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him, the rays of God's love beamed, radiated from that. It showed how much he loves us. He has this eternal love and he demonstrated that in what he did for us. The rays of God's love shine forth in this, that he sent his only begotten son into the world. When you think about it, God gave everything he had. God could not have given more than he did. He gave everything. His only begotten, precious, dearly beloved son. Do you know, beloved, do I know how extremely costly that was for God? What love. The beams of the love of God radiate forth in this, that that precious, dear, only begotten Son, according to his human nature, suffered agonies and passed through death and humbled himself, yea, even to the point of the bloody cross as the punishment for our sins. What sacrifice? He gave everything. That's love. And the rays of the love of God shine forth and so brightly in this, that God gave of his only begotten son, sent him into the world that we might live through him. Now remember what we are by nature, dead. We're like an ugly, stinking, rotting corpse spiritually. We who by nature lift up our fists in rebellion against God and hate him and are his enemies. And he gave his son for us that he might make us alive. Can you fathom? That sort of love. This is a love congregation which shines forth from what God has done for us in Christ and it has this love no dimensions. Sometimes we compare it to the ocean. You ever go to the Pacific Ocean, not live that far away from it? You just look at it on a globe. But when you actually look at it, it's so vast, so deep. And sometimes we compare the love of God to that, but that's not even an adequate illustration because even the ocean has boundaries to it. The love of God does not. Eternal, infinite love for us. And stunning beyond compare. But if I may carry that illustration of sunbeams a little bit more. When God has done this for us in Christ and the beams of his love show from that, you can think of it this way. He takes those beams and he channels them right into your heart. My heart, 
in your heart so that his love for us is made known inside of us, manifested very personally in us. Literally, the text reads, in this was manifested the love of God in us. Isn't that really what the Lord is doing this morning? The Spirit, by the word preached, strengthens within us the knowledge and assurance of God's love. And the Spirit uses the Lord's Supper, of which we will partake, Lord willing, in a few moments. The Spirit uses that Lord's Supper to assure us of the love of God. How important that is, because sometimes we can come to points in our life that we have doubts. I don't know. This trial is so hard. And I'm really struggling right now. Sometimes don't even have the energy to pray. And I'm doubting and questioning a bit the love of the Father for me. Look at what I'm going through. That's why it's so important that God seals to us his love. That's what he does. And he directs those rays right and personally into your heart, even this morning, so that you know it. Now what? We confess it. We confess it. The text, if you look at it, speaks of an us and a we. And that us and we is you, who are the object of God's eternal love. It's you, an elect, who has the life of Christ in you and who has personally experienced the love of God. And now you come to this covenant meal and you do so with a glad, joyful, heartfelt confession. And you say as you come to this table, and this was manifested the love of God toward me. He sent his only begotten son into the world that I might live through him. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy so great love and for that precious, dear gospel of grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that thou wilt Feed us spiritually as we have been. I'll continue to as we come to this meal that thou hast set before us. We thank thee for the broken body and the shed blood of our Lord and the love that is shown in that. Hear us now, Father, and forgive us of all of our sins. In Jesus' name do we pray. Amen.